Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Hi, Eric. If you guys would like to stand up with us, we're going to open with a few songs of worship. Jesus, take me to the deeper well. I want to see your glory. Jesus, take me to the deeper well. So I will never thirst. Jesus, take me to the deeper well. I want to feel your mercy. Jesus, take me to the deeper well, so I will never thirst. Take my hand, lead me to the promised land. Take my hand again. Take my broken land lead me home again Jesus take me to the riverside I want to beside you Jesus take me to the riverside I wanna Jesus take me to the riverside I wanna rest beside you Jesus take Guide me with your 
Good morning. Happy Sunday. Isn't it good? It's good to be here, man. Uh, second weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, second weekend, it's just uh, been a joy and a weird time. So it's great to see your eyes if I can't see anything else. Uh, as uh, we get started this morning, uh, oh, I don't, I'm not sure. I think I've met everybody, but my name's Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, need to share two or three things with you before we move uh, on into the sermon time. Uh, and the first has to do with these gatherings. If, you, if you're not aware, again, second weekend, we started with one. We're now at two. Uh, these filled up by Tuesday, I believe. Uh, so we probably will be at three next week. We'll add a noon service, uh, uh, depending on, on demand again. Uh, but the main thing I would say out of that is things are fluid and they're moving. So the website is your place to go. So if you uh, are trying to figure out what's going on, go there. P uh, Pip is keeping this thing uh, in tip-top shape. If, uh, to sign up for these, you've already done it once, so you kind of got the rhythm. Uh, but you can now, if you, if you didn't before, you can now go to the website to get the link as well. Uh, newsletter, if you're not getting a newsletter, that's how that we started this process of, of registering was by giving the link uh, through the newsletter. If you're not getting that, that's also a way we try to get news, breaking news out to you. If you're not getting it, you're not on the list. So if you will email Pip, he'll get you taken care of on that. And then we are starting today live streaming every service that we do. So we'll, we were live streamed the, the uh, first service at 9. We're live streaming this one. Uh, we'll, we'll live stream 3 or 4, whatever we do, just so that as you are not able to be here, you'll have more and more times to actually engage uh, in real time. So watch for that. Uh, details, just good housekeeping details. We'd ask that you keep your mask on. Uh, in respect to everyone, unless you're up here, we have this fancy force field that surrounds the stage that allows us uh, to be up here and not choke as we're talking to you. Uh, downstairs is closed. The main bathroom right back here in the rotunda is open. Uh, communion box was back here last week. Now it was a little congested. It's back here at the, uh, in the rotunda. You can get to it. Um, and Josh will be outside after every service back here at this door where we're encouraging you to, to exit by uh, because he wants the chance to greet everybody. So uh, you can catch him on the way out. And with that, uh, we want to give you an update on our elder candidate process. As I'm uh, having them come up, uh, I want to introduce them to you, but I also want to tell you a little bit about the process. You may be new here. Uh, you may not have been at our last in-person family meeting, which was January or February, I forget. Uh, and we kind of detailed and went through what we're doing currently. Uh, our, our bylaws and what our comfort level is to have seven uh, to ten elders. And we want our elder team to be made up of a majority of lay elders. So if we have three staff elders like we did, do now with Josh Tim Smith and myself, 
then we, we want to have four lay elders uh, operating and uh, serving at, at that point. Right now, uh, because of, because of uh, circumstances, different things going on, uh, we've had uh, some guys step down over the last 18 months. And so currently we only have two lay elders operating, and that's Seth Mercer and um, Greg McAvoy. And they are, are fully engaged, uh, but we started the process of bringing on uh, new fresh meat. So uh, we, we, the way God works around here is fairly organic, but the way God works in most churches in, in raising up elders is we actually look around and see who's doing the work of an elder uh, and then come alongside them and ask them uh, to come and consider being part of this. And so these three guys have already been through that process with us uh, in the vetting process. Now we're in a time where for three or more months, they are actively working with us uh, in all of our deliberations, our meetings, um, and, and in ministry. Uh, and then at the end of that time, we will bring them back to you, uh, assuming they don't back out. Uh, we'll bring them back to you and give you an opportunity of two weeks to speak into these men. Uh, and to speak into their elder candidacy. At the end of that two weeks, if everything flows through, then we would um, lay hands on and acknowledge them and bring them into the body. As part of this, uh, we're also going to institute, because our elders up to now for 11 years, uh, once you're an elder, you've just been going until you're broken and, and you fall down. Uh, we're, we're trying to stop that. So we're going to start a rotation uh, where we have three years on uh, and then take a year off and then be able to come back again after that uh, for everyone except for the staff elders and we don't get a break. So um, this will start with, this will start with uh, Greg uh, and Seth uh, rotating off at some point in the future. At this point, we have not uh, line that out. We've got to work out uh, all, of, all of those details. But I, I just mainly wanted these guys today to come up and for you to get a chance, if you don't know them, uh, to know their name, but also to know their face uh, because we want you to be praying for them. Uh, we're so happy they're with us uh, and uh, we just want to honor them and give them every best start on this road that we're going. First, we've got Tim Clevenger here. Tim. Uh, Mark Atherton next to him, and then Matt By next to him. And I want to pray for these guys, and I would ask that you would uh, join me at this time. But don't stop here. Continue to pray for them as we go. Lord, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for what I already know of them, what I know of their hearts, uh, what I know of their passions, uh, and what I truly believe I see as a calling on their lives to enter into uh, this kind of a role, this specific role as we find in Scripture. So, Lord, we ask that you would encourage them, uh, that you would uh, strengthen them, uh, that you would help them as we move down uh, the remainder of this path. And so, Lord, at the end of this time, we pray as in all things uh, that you would be glorified in everything that we do, everything that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all give them a hand. I had to get up here and stand here during all that time.
Well, hello everyone. How are you guys doing today? Darren, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be working at my house right now? <laughs> uh, we have been rocking and rolling on a massive remodel for three months and my dear friend Darren, who is a part of Door of Hope and worked on this building, uh, has, I think he put in probably 12 hours yesterday just doing siding. So uh, you have earned church, my friend. As we talk about, uh, about the final deadly sin and probably, in my opinion, uh, the one that is the most prevalent uh, in our society today, I would argue in the church in the West, uh, and that is the sin of acidia or sloth or apathy or despair. I just wanted to, you know, come in on a high note for all of you. Uh, man, I can't tell you how awesome uh, it was uh, to be together last week, even though we live in a very strange time uh, and we're sitting here in masks and, well, you're sitting here in masks, uh, but I still feel like I'm robbing someone every time I go into a grocery store. Uh, so, and I'm really frustrated that you can't see my gold tooth. It's like, what's the point of having a gold tooth if you have to cover your mouth? Uh, so, man, well, on a serious note, uh, I am excited about this final message because I think this is really important for the church. Uh, not only that, I'm excited because we're going to begin a series, uh, which I think is something that is really needed in this strange time in which there has been so much isolation and quarantine, uh, which can create sort of a spiritual malaise or fatigue. Uh, and I've been hearing again and again from so many believers how difficult it's been for them to maintain any sort of rhythm when it comes to, when it comes to devotional life, uh, spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to be looking at spiritual disciplines from the angle of the disciplines of grace. That grace should produce in our lives uh, the, this increasing... Uh, degrees of intimacy or devotion to King Jesus uh, in that the liberation of the believer creates uh, for us the possibility of misusing that liberation and how do we utilize gospel grace-driven freedom to further be liberated uh, by our obedience to Jesus. And so we'll be looking at prayer and fasting and we'll be looking at scripture reading and we'll be looking at giving as well as receiving. And we're gonna just gonna spend weeks in just a series of disciplines that the church has engaged in uh, since its beginnings. And so really excited about that. But today we will wrap up the seven deadly sins. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. You remember the book of Hebrews was a preacher. Uh, he is unnamed. I have opinions about who I think the writer of Hebrews is, but so do everybody because it's not given to us. But what we do know is that this is a pastor of a church uh, that is under persecution uh, and that persecution has led to many of the people within this community uh, to 
live in a state of fear. Sound like anything we're experiencing today? And that fear is leading to many actually even abandoning their faith because to hold to the faith uh, would put their life and their families in danger. And so the writer of Hebrews is continually reminding them of the supremacy of who Jesus is, uh, his absolute victory um, over sin and and the dominions of darkness uh, and the world system that he is the king of all, that he is already victorious and that because of that there is this continual pleading uh, for those believers to hold fast. Uh, one of the most popular tattoo, knuckle tattoos you can get, uh, to hold fast to their faith and to not allow uh, drifting uh, to occur. And I always argue that drifting is easy. It's kind of connected to apathy. If you get in a moving river, if you don't swim against the current, you will move <laughs> with that stream. Uh, and as, uh, as Malcolm Mugridge said, only dead fish go with the flow of the river. Uh, and so as people who are following after Jesus, uh, there, there it must be a continual pushing in uh, and against the current of the age as we follow King Jesus uh, and, and we are empowered by his spirit and fueled by his grace uh, and we must fight against the despair that every age seems to bring because every age has been the end of the age ever since Jesus ascended and we should be living with a firm expectation that Jesus is coming at any moment. Every age since the ascension of Christ is apocalyptic. And I believe that that is being felt now in very key ways. I mean, even, even, uh, even visually for us here in Portland, between, between riots and red suns, it does feel apocalyptic, doesn't it? Um, so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, listen to what the writer says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us understand our history, church. Let us understand those who have walked by faith. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, and I always say this, that the joy that was set before Jesus and his willingness to endure the shame of the cross was you. You are the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you should become what? Weary and discouraged in your souls. Assidia or laziness or sloth or despair. I would argue that it's, this, is, this sin has many facets to it and comes with many names and each name kind of gives a different facet um, of what it means. But acidia, I would say, is to spiritual health 
something like what depression is to mental health. It, it, the problem of Assidia is that it is the neglect to take care of something. It's that, that reality that comes over many of us when we become overwhelmed by life and the responsibilities of life and the difficulties and challenging challenges of existence because I like to say that life isn't just difficult, life is actually impossible. And this is why we need the one who all things are possible in him. This is why people are increasingly despairing and nihilistic in their worldview. This is why the world needs to see now more than ever uh, as the world battles. I just have been obsessively reading uh, Jacques Ellul, who I believe is the greatest prophetic voice that the church has had in the last hundred years, uh, and especially in light of all that's happening right now. He died in 1995 and lived through two world wars. And he argues that in, this is a man who lived through Nazi Germany and fought in France uh, against the regime and lost his, lost his position at the University of Bordeaux, wrote letters in like his in his early 20s on just profound insights into the dangers of fascism as well as communism and what he argued he wrote a, a profound book that is still used as a textbook in universities today called the technological society in the 50s which basically declared that the world is growing increasingly um, complex in its technological advances at the diminishment of the nurturing of, of human existence. And that all systems, whether it's capitalism, whether it's communism, whether it's fascism, whatever it is, you name the system, he says they all ultimately lead to the same place and they are all ultimately beholden to this technological age which we live in and that all revolutions that come out of these various systems are false revolutions that are backed by illusion because it's fallen minds teaching fallen minds and the only real revolutionaries in the world should be the church. As we live out the revolution of the new kingdom, the kingdom of God. But when we live as followers of Jesus and we're constantly trying to weigh out the multitude of voices that are telling us that this is the truth. No, this is the truth. No, this is the path. It's exhausting. I mean, we can't even figure out what we're doing with COVID. I mean, yesterday I even had my first like kind of temper tantrum in public when I was at a restaurant and I got up to get a glass of water and then I was yelled at for not having my mask on when I stood up but the guy sitting at my waist didn't have his mask on because he was eating and then I got so frustrated I got snarky and said so I didn't know that COVID doesn't spread if it's only waist height uh, and then I got frowned at and then I'm like oh my gosh these people probably go to my church this is horrible um, and I just, we're overwhelmed. We don't even know what to believe. The information and misinformation, because honestly, because we don't know. <laughs> but we know one thing for certain, that Jesus is king, that he's not lost his grip, but it's easy to begin to believe he has. And it creates this spirit of apathy. I think it shuts us down. And have you, have you 
Any of you guys been experiencing that over the last six months? Just that spiritual shutdown, <laughs> emotional shutdown where you're just like, I can't even handle life right now. I'm just going to binge Netflix. Or, and I'm sure many of you have done that. Man, I did it. First week, Tiger King, just Tiger King. And you get to the end of that and you're like, I don't think that benefited my life. I'm not sure this story has given me any new values on human existence other than we definitely need Jesus in this world. Uh, and I, I understand this. And what, but what we have to hold tenaciously to is this, is that God created us for creative activity. That humanity was actually made for work. Work is not a part of the fall. Toil was the outcome of the fall. The fall brought pain and tedium into our work, but work itself is good and God-given. The devil, Isaac Watts said, always finds some task for idle hands to do. It's the call to redeem the time. Jesus was never idle. As some have said, Jesus even was never in a hurry. Uh, but I would say this, that Jesus was one who poured himself out for the world because of his love and obedience to the Father and as a revelation of the Father's heart in pursuit of you and I. You know, what he, remember what he said? He goes, I have been, my Father has been working up until now and I have been working up until now. And I only do those things which please the Father. And what is the work that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been doing? Pursuing and seeking lost sinners like you and I. And I believe that this is the supreme work, the revolutionary work that we as the church have been called into. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. In an age of instant Christianity, we want things easy. But I'm here to tell you guys that what we need is the, to begin to understand how to pursue the difficult pleasures in life. All of the best things in existence require tremendous effort. It's hard. It's hard work, but it's hard work that is an easy yoke when it is motivated by right affections and a heart that is centered on a God who on your worst day is crazy about you. I don't strive to follow Jesus because I'm worried that I might, I, I, I'm, I might get blasted by him if I blow it. I strive to follow Jesus because I know that he loves me even when I fail in that striving. And so if you're stuck in a place of apathy, this is not to make you feel guilty. It is to tell you that there is a God who loves you and he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And we need to be reminded of that. And this is why we need one another. And this is why this time in which we've been isolated from one another, it, it becomes easy to forget the resources, the heavenly resources that are available to us. Well, there are four stages of sloth. And I think all of us can identify with all of the stages um, in some area. Um, and I think that sloth often is just the omission. It's the sin of omission. It's not doing what you ought to be doing. 
because we're always doing something. It's just the question of what is the value of what it is that we are doing. And there's a time for everything. And the, the problem with sloth is it's often doing the wrong things at the wrong time <laughs> and in the wrong way. But the first stage of sloth is just simply laziness. I don't feel like it would be the phrase <laughs> that encapsulates laziness. It's also called indolence. It's the disinclination to activity or exertion despite having the ability to do so. It's that slacker mentality that avoids work at all costs. It's what the Japanese referred to of those, those kids that refuse to get jobs and are still living with their parents, uh, not because they're uh, incapable of work, but because they refuse to work. And the Japanese referred to them as parasite singles. Not a very nice title. <laughs> but I think, I, I think that this is that, that reality in which it's laziness really begins with a detachment from duty and an attachment to idleness. <laughs> You know, Proverbs 26, 14 says, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. And you know that feeling. I mean, I know I've had those seasons of laziness where it just like, it's way easier to hit snooze on the alarm clock than it is to get up when it goes off. And believe me this morning, because I... You know, I was talking with my buddy, John Mark um, Comer, who is a big advocate of Sabbath. And I said, dude, if you're right about Sabbath, I'm in big trouble because I have not been taking any um, for three months now. Uh, but the exhaustion sets in and it's just the desire to just hit snooze. I just, I just want to sleep for like 48 hours. I think I would, I, I, I would maybe be like a new human being. But that I don't feel like it. I, we can all hit those walls where I'm like, I just can't do this. I don't want to do this. I just, I have earned the right to turn off my brain. But we need to keep in mind that scripture never actually gives us permission to just escape reality. Uh, in fact, it says to take every thought captive unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've really thought through that verse, but it's quite an overwhelming statement. Uh, and, and it's because our thoughts matter. Uh, and this is a battle that really begins in the mind. The lazy person, one who is continually lazy, is what I would call a non-contributor. Um, I love my father. But my father very much took this kind of attitude toward life. You know, a product of the 60s and that kind of hippie movement and that sort of push against the establishment and, you know, you know, let's stick it to the man and a refusal to pay taxes and a desire to get rich quick. And he thought that the way to do that would be through selling drugs. And all it did was destroy his body, ultimately empty his checkbook and has created the state in which he finds himself today. And it's, you know, the good news is that God is still pursuing my father. And I talked to my dad the other day and he seemed actually clear and, and in good spirits overall. And he hasn't been in the hospital for months, which is so exciting and overwhelming. So I don't pick on my dad. I'm just saying that that 
continued lifestyle of like, I'm going to live off the grid. I am not going to be a contributor has led to much. And he actually shared this with me when I was with him last, that he recognizes that his choice to do what he said, have fun in his young age continually, um, he said, I didn't expect it to catch up with me so early because now he's a 67-year-old man in a 90-year-old body. And I think that this is the outcome. God doesn't call us to work because he's a cruel taskmaster. He created us for it. And it's actually what brings vitality to our lives. We want to feel like what we do matters. We want to contribute to something that's life-giving. Sigmund Freud uh, refers to this uh, idea of laziness as the pleasure-seeking principle. It's seeking pleasure to avoid pain. And this a lazy person is often controlled by felt needs rather than reality. Duty is pushed aside for the fleeting moment of escape. Listen to this scathing statement by A.W. Tozer on our ability as Americans in modern society, and keep in mind this was written in the 50s, uh, to utilize entertainment as an escape from responsibility specifically as Christians. And he says, for centuries the church stood solidly against every form of worldly entertainment, seeing it for what it was, a device for wasting time, a refuge from the disturbing voice of conscience, and a scheme to divert attention from moral accountability. Ouch. That was a hard one for me. Uh, and I, maybe it's a little overstated, maybe it's a little heavy-handed, but we could probably use a dose of what's being stated there. Open our eyes to what's really happening. Laziness often gives way to the next stage of sloth, which or acidia, and that is procrastination. Putting off today what should have been done yesterday. <laughs> this is a major area of difficulty for me as an artistic temperament. I'm often inspired by the 11th hour. I almost need the absolute crushing pressure of the deadline to accomplish uh, the uh, the variety of things that are on my plate and often my ability to get things done comes in waves of uh, creativity. So it's like burst of energy. I, I think that people often um, look at me and think of me as, as a high output and highly productive person. But often I think that that can be just confusing frenetic, unfocused energy with productivity. As my counselor said to me, he's like, Josh, you're not disciplined, you're just driven. And I was like, I don't like the sound of that very much. I don't know what you mean by that, but I, I'm pretty sure that that is not a positive statement that you just made. And, 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 and he pointed out, he's like, you're extremely ambitious, you're extremely driven, but you don't know when to stop doing one thing to do something else. And so if you're into a book, you read the whole thing in a few days when it should take you a month. And he's like, but, and it may feel really productive because you just read all of Brothers Karamazov in a couple weeks. He's like, and you should take three months to read that because what weren't you doing that you should have been doing while you were reading that book? And I was like, 
I don't like you very much. I don't think I need counseling. <laughs> but but this, it was such a good word because we can often confuse our frenetic energy with being productive when in actuality, sometimes our frenetic energy is actually a revelation of our tendency toward procrastination. It's busying ourselves in lots of activity when in actuality, the things that we should be doing, we're not doing at all. And this is very much a, pro a product of our age in an, in an age of distraction. Procrastination is dangerous because listen to what it says in Proverbs 18 verse 9. He who is slothful in, in his work is a brother to him who is the great destroyer. That detachment from duty inevitably leads to a delay of what needs to be done today. I will do it tomorrow, says the, says the procrastinator, which leads to things either not being done well or not being done at all. When deadlines approach, what happens? We feel increasingly guilty and apprehensive and anxious. And procrastination gives way to the third stage of sloth. And that's despair. If, if laziness says I don't feel like it, and procrastination says I will, to, I will tomorrow, despair says I can't. It's when we begin to lose all hope. The responsibilities pile up on us that we've been avoiding until we kind of collapse under the pressure. And despair is deadly. And we see it manifesting itself all around us today. It's to lose all hope or confidence. The piling up of deadlines inevitably will lead to the overwhelming sensation that whatever needs to be done now, I just simply can't do it. It's out of reach. Hopelessness settles in, detachment becomes delay, and delay inevitably leads to defeat. Proverbs 21, 25 says, the desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Despair does not kill desi desire. I want to simply say it kills us. It slowly takes control and what happens is that hope dissipates, the heart slips, unbelief settles in and we begin to drown. And that's the thing, drifting ultimately leads to drowning. We can't give up. We can't, we can't lose sight of the victory that's already ours. How soon, not now, becomes never, wrote Martin Luther, Martin Luther. When despair settles in, it leads us to the final and the most dangerous stage and why I saved this for the final uh, sin to look at because I actually think it might be the deadliest of all the seven deadly sins. I think they all flow out of pride, actually, the first one we considered. But this one, I think, is, has its grip on our age in a way that is hard to get our heads around, and that is apathy. And apathy simply moves from I can't to I no longer care. It's a state of indifference. It's when the heart grows cold. When it's no longer overwhelmed. It's no longer burdened. It's not anxious. It literally feels nothing. This is a horrible place to live. And I think many of us have had those moments where I get troubled 
and this is the thing I'm actually most concerned about today. When I was touring full-time as a believer um, with, with the worship band Telecast, I toured for a year straight, and I always said I would only stay on the road as long as my wife, God gave Darcy Grace to handle it. And Henry was two years old at the time. Um, and I missed, I remember I missed his second birthday, and then I toured 20 to 25 days a, a month for a year straight. We did like 250 shows. And so I was only home a few days a month. And I, I loved it. And at first it was excruciating to be away from Henry and Darcy that long. But Darcy, I remember, called me in October of 2004 to tell me that she no longer had grace for me being on the road. At the peak of our success, we had had a, we had had a top 10 single in the Christian market for almost six months. And everything was aligned for like for the band to go to the next kind of level. Uh, and we were, had all of our shows booked all the way through 2005 and all these European um, festivals. But God actually spoke to me and said, you need to listen to your wife and you need to quit. And I was like, oh, Lord, I thought this is what you want me to do. And he, I thought this is the work that you gave me to do. And what he revealed to me was the greatest issue was that it wasn't that it was getting harder to be away from my wife and kids. It's that I had been doing it for so long, it actually no longer bothered me. And after missing Henry's third birthday, it, never, it didn't weigh on me at all anymore. And what I found is that I, was, I had gotten to that point where I'd become indifferent to being away from my family, which was feeding into that sort of selfish drive to do what I wanted to do rather than live uh, in, in, a, in a, a way that honored the Lord through honoring and caring for my wife and my son. And this is what I'm concerned about today. My concern for today is not that it's getting harder to be away from church. I think for many it's getting easier. My concern today is that, that the impact of COVID, that the greatest threat is not this flu that really is killing people. I I'm not, I'm not, would never deny that. The numbers are real, although I think that sometimes the information that's, we're not getting fully robust information. But the thing that I'm most concerned about is the psychological and spiritual impact of continued isolation. And I think, and the economic impact of, of a nation shut down. And I think that there is a spiritual reality behind this and the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, in my, from my view, if the primary way in which he works is through the church and the church is not able to gather uh, in the ways that, that, that the world can really know. And keep in mind, the church exploded and has continued to explode in China, underground, in houses. But I do think that, that we haven't learned how to be like that yet. And so we've actually, in an age of individualism and isolation and this ability, we pride ourselves on our freedom. We, we haven't felt the need, the crushing need for one another. And so we've become indifferent to that need. And this is where I think laziness has set in more fervently. Because you may be sitting here and you're like, I work hard. Do you work hard at maintaining a covenant loyalty to Jesus and his people? This is the question that I have. I can't speak to your work ethic. Sometimes our work ethic can give us insight into our spiritual realities. But I think that apathy is the danger. 
Dorothy Sayers said, apathy believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, loves nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing it would die for. They are spiritually and morally asleep. The apathetic read the scriptures without feeling, without meaning. We worship without wonder and listen without surprise. So what is the solution? I'm just going to go through this really quickly. To break free from sloth, we have to get our center right. This is not accomplished by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but it's first of all recognizing just the same way that month at the end of month one of COVID, I had a crash with the wall in the reality of the truth of who Jesus is in a way that brought such conviction to behaviors that were beginning to seep into my life as I tried to escape the stress of the quarantine and the shutdown of the church and work as I understand it for myself. And, and God revealed that I was utilizing different things to escape responsibility. And one of those things was drinking. And I gave up alcohol now, it's five months ago. And it has been life-giving, not because I was an alcoholic, not because I was getting drunk, but because I was utilizing it regularly to escape the pressure, kind of like coffee to wake up, alcohol to unwind. And I just wasn't living healthy. I wasn't physically healthy. I, I, was, and I was avoiding exercise. I was avoiding the things that would help me be the most productive man spiritually uh, that I can be for Jesus, for my family, and for you, the church. And I recognized that what I needed wasn't just pull myself up by my bootstraps. What I needed was help. And I remember I woke up on a Sunday morning. It was Mother's Day, and I said, Jesus, help. I think I'm supposed to stop. I think that's what you're telling me. But I need you to be that strength and Instantly, this peace and this overwhelming sense of God's love. Josh, I love you. I've just been waiting for you to ask me for help. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to confess that you needed help. I share with the elders, I share with my staff, and I share with you, the church. But first I share with my wife and with my kids. And Darcy has argued that I have been a different man since I have released that thing. And it's been, it's been life-giving. Uh, and I think that this is because we have to get our center right. Nothing motivates change like love. Not guilt and not shame. You're not going to be motivated to work hard because you feel bad. You're going to be motivated to work hard because you know you're loved. And you know in whom you love and whom you serve and whom you follow. And it doesn't matter where you're going as long as he's leading. And here is how then from that place, when we have hope, uh, this hope in Jesus, as it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which we can enter the presence behind the veil with boldness. When we know we have access to Jesus, we can then begin to move from laziness, first of all, to productivity. And that's that question is, is my life contributing to the kingdom of God? Do the things that I do contribute to the kingdom of God? Am I a sign of the kingdom of God and its coming realities? 
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Laziness to productivity is not you just doing a bunch of stuff. It's actually abiding in Christ. It's asking the question, Lord Jesus, what do you have for me today? And help me to do it to your honor. And I need your help to do what you want me to do today. Laziness to productivity leads, from, leads to procrastination to discipline. Are we choosing for ourselves the difficult pleasures? Isn't it true that every relationship, if you're married, you know what a difficult pleasure marriage is. It requires tremendous investment, time and energy, intentionality. Just like our investment into knowing Jesus intimately. I mean, God has given us his thoughts in the form of a thousand plus page book. That doesn't come easily. It doesn't come by osmosis. But we trust that as we give ourselves to these new ways of living, we place ourselves in this new environment of the kingdom of God, and we take his word in that the Holy Spirit can teach us as we become the students that he needs us to be. We need to begin to discipline our lives toward godliness Because the world right now more than ever needs to see the witness of the church reflecting the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Which means we need to get out of our combative realities, our political leanings, the illusions that we give ourselves to, the platforms that we spend our time on. Man, I say kill your, kill kill Facebook. (laughs) It's poison. Let's all move to TikTok because at least it's funny. (laughs) <laughs> I, I've been talking with a, uh, with a publisher about the book I've been writing and they're like, we're going to need you to start posting on Twitter. And I'm like, I, can't, I just emotionally can't do it. I can't. I, I just, do I have, is that really? And so I asked Greg uh, McAvoy, he's going to handle my Twitter account from this. I'm letting you know today, Greg. Um, Thank you. You are such a good man. Uh, Procrastination to discipline is giving ourselves to the difficult pleasures because we want our lives to be manifesting life and vitality and hope. And if the things that you're feeding on is bringing anger and frustration and an overwhelming sense of claustrophobia, then you're feeding on the wrong things. Don't trust the media from any angle because it's all fragmented. Despair to confidence. This is what we need to move from. Hope does not disappoint. Are you trusting that Jesus is with you and on the throne still? Do you believe that in the depth of your being? 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now little children abide in him and that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This is what we need. A calm confidence in the midst of the storm. This is the difference between the world's understanding of rest and our understanding of rest. We can be at rest. We can experience Sabbath even while we're working because Jesus is our Sabbath. And we need to rest in him, which then allows us to move from apathy to flow. Psychology likes to use this word flow and it's the antithesis of apathy and it's what 
in what scripture in the church calls sloth. Uh, flow would be defined as the mental state in which a person is fully immersed in what he or she is doing by a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and success in the process of that activity. There is that work that we do that is just hard to do, but flow is the work that happens when the creative energy and the effort becomes kind of wrapped up in one another and we're not even... Think about the work that you do where time seems to go too fast because it's so life-giving. I'm like that with a record. I'm not like that when I'm painting a house. When I'm painting a house, I'm very aware of the time it's taking the effort it requires. So not everything is going to enter a state of flow. But how cool would it be if our efforts when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and our witness to him was in a continual state of flow. That was just something that naturally energized us, created momentum in and through us, and brought transformation to the world around us. That's why Christians alone should be the world's revolutionaries. Because the revolution that we want to bring to the world is not a political system, but it is the kingdom of God. And it's not a stinking democracy, it's a dictatorship. Except Jesus is a good dictator. And he alone can actually bring us the freedom that everybody's talking about but can't seem to find. And this is why we cannot be a people that are marked by apathy. We need to be a people that is marked by a focused energy given to the witness of our king. Amen? The seven deadly sins, so much fun. In a time of anxiety, I hope I didn't add to that. But what we need to be as we enter into the world with eyes wide open, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knowing that on our worst day, Jesus is crazy about us. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he has given you his Holy Spirit to be a comforter in these dark days. May you lean into him with all that is in you. Jesus, we pray right now that by your spirit, you would bring transformation to our lives. We thank you for the gift of grace that we have in you. And we want to work through you. Lord, forgive us for the ways that apathy can grab a hold of us. We ask right now that you would energize us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would recognize that you, Holy Spirit, bring the gifts of charisma. Lord, we talk about charismatics, but what we want is charisma. The energy that comes from your presence and your lordship being activated in and through our lives as we yield to you. Thank you that when our center is right, our lives will witness to that correct center. We need you because we know that even the things we do in the power of your presence is still mixture. Thank you for working in us and through us in spite of us. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Love you guys so much. So glad you're here today.
feels like you have forgotten me, but the problem is all mine. Give me eyes to see you, destroy and revive, restore and remind your face is not hidden, but I have been so blind. I see my chest has been tied. Now I can breathe as I look up. You lift up my head oh, to see your oh to see your oh to see your glory. It feels like you have forgotten But the problem is all mine Give me eyes to see you Destroy and revive Restore and remind your face Is not hidden But I have been so My chest has retired Now I can breathe as I go You lift up my